0: On this Discover the Word podcast, Dr. Christina Edmondson joins the group for some conversations we're calling Mental Health in the Bible. She's an educator and mental health therapist who believes in the importance of what she calls brain health.
1: You know, our brain is a part of the body, and we need to keep our brains healthy. Why? Because they're a gift from God. We have to be good stewards of our brains. It's like we're good stewards of our whole body, and that we can even see through Scripture The Lord Jesus Christ being a good steward of his brain. So we have to be mindful about how do we take good care of these brains.
0: So join the group as Dr. Christina Edmondson explores with us some passages of Scripture that indicate that God cares about our mental health. And we should too. In fact, I think we'll see that God invites us into practices that are good for our mental health. Discover the Word with us on the Discover the Word podcast. And this is Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day are the regular members of this group, and from time to time we invite guests to join our conversations to help us explore topics and passages that can help us grow in our relationship with and our walk with Christ and this is one of those times. So we're excited to talk with Dr. Christina Edmondson about the topic of mental health in the Bible. Dr. Christina has her PhD in counseling psychology, as well as degrees in family therapy and sociology. She's a public speaker, a mental health therapist, and is also a co-host on the Truth's Table podcast. I think we're going to discover with her some really important things about taking care of our brains. And you may be surprised at how much God cares about our mental health. Now, Mart was not part of this particular series of discussions, but uh, let's join Daniel and Elisa and Bill as they welcome Dr. Christina Edmondson to Discover the Word. And uh, by the way, I'll tell you more about the podcast that they're talking about in one of our breaks a little later in the show.
2: Last year, Our Daily Bread launched a new podcast And it's always funny to me how we find new guests. One of the guests that we had was Dr. Christina Edmondson, and it was an amazing show Mm -hmm. because she's brilliant, but also has this amazing theological background as well. And so she brought like this therapy, psychology background with theology, and it was fascinating. And so... We're going to have her on Discover the Word today.
3: Yeah, I listened to that podcast. It was phenomenal, Daniel. I just encourage everybody to go grab it. Well, first of all,
1: thank you all for having me um, and greeting me so warmly. That's a really nice introduction. Let's lower expectations, though. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm reasonably knowledgeable about a variety of almost like game show topic things. <laughs> I'd rather present myself that way. I would be the person you want on your game show team, yeah, but I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland. That's where my mom and my dad and my and my grandmom uh currently live, and that is where I was born and raised and educated
2: so Christina, where are we going today in the conversation? What's on your heart?
1: Well, I'd love for us to spend some time talking about um, mental health and the Bible or Christians and mental health and really kind of how we have been socialized or shaped to think about that or to not think about it well. And so Mm -hmm. one of the things that I share with my students is that Jesus has this remarkable life where he strategically sent to self-sacrifice on our behalf. But if you look really close, you'll see the ways that Jesus engages also in self-care for the purpose of self-sacrifice. And I think there is a beautiful model in that for us that every day we're not just giving all of ourselves over until there's nothing left. We are being mindful Mm. of kind of strategic self-sacrifice, which means that we also have to employ a certain level of self-care to keep our brains healthy and whole.
3: That is so refreshing, Christina, because I think you're right. When we talk about Christians and mental health, we think, well, we're supposed to be like Jesus, right? You know, he's our model. Mm -hmm. And so we only go to the self-sacrifice. But you're Mm -hmm. saying, let's hold him up as a model also, -hmm. Of self care. Hmm. So that I like that phrase, self care in order to self sacrifice. That's right. The scripture that I was
1: reflecting on and praying through, I wonder if one of you would be willing to read it for us in our hearing. It's uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11.
4: Okay, I'll kick it off. Matthew 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry.
3: And the tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread.
2: But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will
4: bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. All
3: this I'll give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him." You know, this particular passage for me, in
1: reading it, has to be one of the most stressful exchanges. (laughs) You want to talk about spiritual warfare? I mean, Jesus is talking to the devil, right? And being tempted and submitted over to this process that sounds exhausting, grueling, and frightening, and overwhelming. And with the exception of what we see in the garden and at the cross, for me, this is one of the most stressful exchanges that Jesus is interacting in. Yeah. And yet the part of it that stands out to me the most is at the very end that Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, uh, when the devil leaves, the angels come and they attend to him. Mm. Mm. They attend to him, this posse of angels. And it got me to thinking about my own life and about Mm. when I am, am battling in spiritual warfare and stress and uncertainty about the ways in which I reject the wisdom of this passage. And I don't call for a team of angels in support to attend to me. I'm curious, is that something that maybe you often struggle with as well, this understanding that there's a burden, there's a stress, there's spiritual Mm. warfare, but not calling Mm. for the support that we need?
4: I think it's interesting, Christina, and I'm reminded that in the Garden of Gethsemane, an angel came and strengthened him as well. So in both of those times of high stress, Jesus received help from outside himself.
3: Yeah. And you know, it's interesting the way you're pointing that out, Christina, because he didn't actually ask for help here directly. It's like God just knew he needed it, but he did receive it. The other thing that strikes me, he went into this temptation the word says, full of the Holy Spirit. So in chapter four, verse one of Matthew, he was full of the Holy Spirit at the beginning mm-hmm. of this process. Mm-hmm. But we all know that that's an ongoing relationship. And while Jesus was never separated from God and, and we can tend to think we can be, although nothing can separate us from his love. Anyway, that's something to focus on. We might be all prepared and you know ready to go at the beginning of what we know is going to be a trying mm-hmm. time. But there's Mm -hmm. this ongoing need, Mm -hmm. you know, and the angels at the end is like, man, the refueling, the Mm -hmm. sustenance returning.
4: And I'm guessing, Christina, that the angels that we receive help from don't necessarily have to be heavenly angels. It (laughs) could be a group of friends. It could be our family. It could be folks at our church. I mean, to use your term, posse of angels. (laughs) 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 I love that. And so some group that comes to our aid and we're willing to accept their... Help, is that right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So, if the one who is divine, all loving, all powerful, receives this type of help and support in being mm-hmm. ministered to, then who are we to think? that we also don't need to receive a help and support as we experience and face temptations day to day, as we battle through spiritual warfare, as we face circumstances and besetting sins and systemic sins and injustice. We certainly need to honor Christ by
3: following Christ's example here and receiving the support that we need. You know, what about, Christina, for the person who goes, oh my goodness, I would give anything, for Mm. community to help me during this season. I would give anything for an angel you know, what do we say when we can't seem to, to find that kind of community, or our community disappoints us, or it's difficult for us to ask for help from community? What do you say to that?
1: Yeah, I would say, amen. <laughs> and I would say, <laughs> I understand. And I would say that if I could, I would sit with you. And one thing we can be reminded of is that Christ will never leave us or forsake us, that Christ is with us uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Christ has given us the body of Christ, right? And so I guess that's more of a message, not just to the person who is longing for company and community, because amen to that, but also to the rest of us and to the local church. And that now is the time for us to cry out for divine creativity to figure out how to meet that particular need that people have, which is a godly need that we are designed to be interconnected
2: and interdependent. Can we say from this passage, and this feels risky to say, but that Christ was actually in need here. We always think of Jesus as uh, untouchable in so many ways, even though the scriptures tell us that he was tempted in every way, just as we are, that he experienced the pressures of the world in the same ways that we have. And maybe even more so because of how intense the pressure was that he experienced that maybe we can't relate to. And almost what I see in this passage is when he gets to the end of this, like he is empty he is almost in need. Can we say that about Jesus, that he was in need and needed help?
1: Hmm. I think that statement, Daniel, for me only becomes controversial if we're talking about a need within his divinity, But if we're talking about a need within the humanity of Jesus Christ, the very Mm -hmm. part of him Mm -hmm. that makes him able to be our empathetic high priest, then that's a true element of what it means to be Mm -hmm. human, to be interdependent and interconnected. And so in order for Christ to even right now with full authenticity and authority to intercede on behalf of us, that empathy that he has comes Mm -hmm. from that shared humanity with us. It shouldn't be that controversial, only to the extent that that's also a part of us that we feel a great deal of shame about, Yeah, our own neediness. Mm -hmm. But needing something is not inherently sinful, right? And so Jesus is still sinless in the fact that he needs something. And I think that's important for us to think about when it comes to mental health, because there is so much shame and so much stigma. And I think we might have tapped it on the door just now. about acknowledging that we do have Mm -hmm. a need, but Christ models this for us without any sin, and there is no need for shame, that we do indeed have needs that God is gracious to address for us through the Holy Spirit and in really practical, natural ways.
0: You are part of the group on the Discover the Word podcast from Our Daily Bread Ministries, and some conversations with Dr. Christina Edmondson about mental health in the Bible exploring how God invites us into practices that are good for our mental health. And in conversation number two, they're going to talk about a concept that is easy to agree with, but really difficult to put into practice, especially in a culture like ours that values busyness and accomplishing things so highly.
1: I'm curious, everyone, when was the last time you had a really great rest?
2: Oh, I got three young kids. That's a hard question to answer. <laughs> so the one thing that I really enjoy about hunting season mm-hmm. is even on days I don't see anything, I still just get to sit in the woods and be quiet. Mm. So that's the one that comes to mind for me is the last time that I went hunting and was just sitting in the woods, I felt very rested after that day.
1: Mm. How about you, Bill?
4: I'm trying to figure out what rest is. <laughs> um, actually, My wife and I last year went through a very, very busy season where we had a lot of things going on. And finally, almost all at the same time, three or four things just all buttoned up at once. And I remember when I went to bed that night thinking, man, I'm just so tired. And I think I slept like 11 hours that night (laughs) and I woke up feeling better than I had in months.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I get that, Bill, because I'm old and it's hard to sleep when you get old. You know, wake up all the time. My husband and I are always like, you know, one or the other of us in the middle of the night is on the iPad reading a book or something because we can't (laughs) sleep. And so I have to go way back when. And honestly, what comes to mind, Christina, is this sentence that i've used a million times i love to sit at the ocean Mm -hmm. because it will keep moving so i don't have to and that is so true for me it's difficult for me just to stop to turn it off and like daniel i get what you're saying because if i were in the woods and i didn't have anything else to do maybe i would rest but when i go to the ocean i can because it's moving around me and that satisfies me and comforts me Mm, That's good.
1: I asked you all that question. It makes me think about my own experiences. My mom has this story that she tells me um, about me where she took me out shopping one day. She was holding my hand. I must have been really, really young, under the age of five. And she's looking through the items of clothing on the rack. And the woman who's uh, at the store, the saleswoman, says, ma'am, ma'am, excuse me, do you know that your daughter is sleeping? And I'm standing. <laughs> Apparently, I was standing asleep, <laughs> according to my mother in the story. I'm standing wow. asleep. Wow. I have no memory of it. But when I think about that, I think about not so much how sleepy I was, but how much confidence that I had mm. in my mother to hmm. be able to rest in her presence wherever she took me. And I think our ability to rest is sometimes tied to the confidence that we have in the person that is looking out for us, that's with Mm -hmm. us, right? The passage that I wanted to share with you all, and I'd love to get your thoughts about it too, is Mark uh, chapter two, verses 27 through 28. And it's on the Sabbath. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Obviously, this is a particular exchange where people are trying to trip up Jesus. But also in this text, the Lord is highlighting that the Sabbath rest is designed for us, that it is a mm. gift to us. Mm. That's a message that I know I certainly need to hear as someone who's a bit of a workaholic. Um, <laughs> but I'm curious about you. When you think about this passage, what comes to mind?
2: I would have a question real quick before mm-hmm. I could answer that. And that is when I think of the term Sabbath and the scriptures, there's like a very particular type of concept, right, that the Bible's talking about, Mm -hmm. which is sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday. And this day, this Sabbath day, is that what Jesus is referring to? And what was his idea of what Sabbath was?
1: Mm. So Jesus would have fully embraced the idea of Sabbath as communicated through generations by his people. Mm. But because also who Jesus is, Jesus would understand even the deeper meaning of sabbath, mm-hmm. right? So you think about how God created the world and then on the 7th day God rested. Mm. So God God did all the work. <laughs> and as God does for our salvation, as God does in upkeeping the cosmos now, God calls us to rest, to rest from our works, to rest in him, to kind of fulfill that deeper meaning and that even deeper beauty of the Sabbath. So obviously we have kind of the cultural practice of the Sabbath and how it's literally laid out within the course of a week as people of the Jewish tradition would have understood in Jesus's time. Mm -hmm. But also we have the beauty of the deeper meaning of the Sabbath, which points to the gospel work that Christ has fulfilled on our behalf and that we now rest in him.
2: And do you think that's part of Jesus's point here is Mm -hmm. that they've gotten into this rhythm of thinking the Sabbath is one thing And Jesus's whole invitation here is you've made it so much about this other thing that you're actually missing that deeper rhythm of the world that God built in when he created it. And it's for your benefit.
1: Well, it's so tempting. For, I think for I'll speak for me. It's pretty tempting for me to get caught up in the prescriptions of Christianity or what I think are the prescriptions of Christianity mm-hmm. that I miss the principles, that I miss <laughs> kind of the undergirding or the the deeper beauty that Jesus is revealing to me or showing me about who Jesus is and about myself as well. It's clear that people were caught up in practices but not necessarily the purpose of the mm. practice or the God who had given the practice.
3: Or the person, if you want to use a P. Absolutely, <laughs> the person. Because I'm really resonating with this, just with your original opening story with your mom and your confidence in her to rest wherever she (laughs) took you because you trusted her. Mm -hmm. And so what you're really highlighting here is that we can trust, we can have confidence to be human, to admit our needs, to not have to dress up and stay alert and vigilant, which is one of my favorite words, Mm -hmm. which is a defense mechanism we learn from being broken in our broken world. You know, When I get really deep (laughs) down into when did I last rest... It's not about sleep at all, is it? It's really about letting my guard down and experiencing Mm. the safety and the refuge that God promises me in a relationship.
4: Mm. I think the challenge with that is, like Daniel said, it was built into the Jewish calendar. There Mm -hmm. was a rhythm where there was a time to rest and a time to work, if you can go to Ecclesiastes 3. Mm -hmm. And for most of us as followers of Christ today, we believe in the concept of Sabbath rest but we don't necessarily believe in a Sabbath day where it has to be practiced. And so as a result, it's easy to not practice it at all. <laughs> That's good. You're right. So true. how can we get into that rhythm of rest without having a prescribed way of going about doing it?
1: Yeah, certainly we have to accept and be grateful for God's commands. <laughs> over our <laughs> lives, right? And so yeah. we have a command to honor the Sabbath. And I think in honoring the Sabbath, it preaches the gospel in the midst of a frenzied and chaotic world where we work ourselves into showing our value and sh- uh, to other people. There is something gospel-rooted about obedience to the command to honor the Sabbath and then the deeper principle of the command that we are resting in the Lord Jesus Christ alone so what's getting in your way of resting maybe even right now
4: okay that kind of gets to what i was driving for (laughs) in my question (laughs) christine because the simple answer is everything everything (laughs) gets in the way and and i mean i almost feel like the only time i ever slow down to rest is when marlene makes me i mean that's one way that rest can come about but when everything seems to be preventing that option of rest (laughs) How do you move beyond everything?
1: Mm, mm. I was thinking like, do I have a good answer for that? Well, I think certainly a start is obedience to that command. Mm. (laughs) Obedience, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. To build that in. I was just talking to a good friend who, she works all the time. (laughs) And by the way, people who work all the time and work a lot and produce wonderful things, we can have a habit of kind of draining them dry. We can tend to look at them as heroes instead of uh, honoring their full humanity, right? But love looks like saying, I recognize your full humanity. And um, our love for God includes obedience. When we love God, we obey God. And God has given us a clear command to honor the Sabbath. So we kind of have to build it into our lives. If we don't build it in, we will definitely build it out. And it's so important to our mental health.
2: And doesn't that kind of pull us back again to the trust concept as well, right? Mm-hmm. The reason we obey God is because we trust that the reason he has these invitations or these commands is because he knows what's best is our father. We trust that even though we feel like we've got more in our tank and can do more. Mm -hmm. We stop anyway Mm. and trust that God is inviting us to rest because we need it, because we have limitations as humans, because we tend, especially in our culture, to be very hurried. And God is inviting us not to be hurried.
1: And in those moments, it's an act of faith when we submit ourselves to rest, to honoring the Sabbath because it points to the fact that we know that it is God alone who's upholding the cosmos. And Mm then if I settle down for just one day, (laughs) uh, this thing is not going to go off the rails. God is holding it together. We chuckle at that, but I can testify Mm -hmm. that I can certainly live my life as if Mm -hmm. I don't do something or if I don't complete it or if I don't say something. And God doesn't need me to fulfill God's work and God's job. (laughs) So God is running this thing right now.
0: And when we come back, we will talk about another practice that God invites us into that is good for our mental health. The life-changing practice of counting your blessings and being thankful. Seriously, is saying thank you really that life-changing? We'll find out when the group comes back in just a moment to continue this Discover the Word podcast about mental health in the Bible with our guest, Dr. Christina Edmondson. Well, at the beginning of our first conversation, as we were talking with Dr. Christina, they mentioned a podcast from Our Daily Bread Ministries that they encourage you to check out. That podcast is the God Hears Her podcast. Now, the God Hears Her podcast was inspired by our best-selling women's devotional by that title, And in it, hosts Elisa Morgan and Erin Eddy are joined by a variety of guests who share their stories of hope and encouragement. And in a recent episode... Elisa and Aaron had as their guest, Dr. Christina Edmondson. It was a great conversation. It was episode 32, which is part of season three. And so let me play for you an excerpt where Aaron asks a question that helps us get to know Dr. Christina a bit better. I want to know who Dr. Christina was before she was Dr. Christina, when she was a young girl, what memory comes to mind and then what kind of brought you to where you are right now?
1: yeah oh yeah great question i think to get a snapshot of who i am from my early childhood i think you'd have to know like the city that raised me like the community mm-hmm. the culture that raised me and so i was born in uh, baltimore maryland mm-hmm. and my parents are a hoot <laughs> i have learned to appreciate them more obviously when you're a kid you're like ah, i don't yeah. know about these people but yeah um,
3: <laughs>
1: as i've grown older i have i realized why my parents had so many friends mm-hmm. and i grew up in a household where my parents had a company every day. Oh my <laughs> and wow. I'm not even overstating that. You know, I was shaped by these people who were clearly deeply flawed humans, but mm. were really hospitable mm. and compassionate and funny. And kind of cultured in their own way. Yeah. And I just really, really grateful. And they introduced me to the local church. Um, oh, wow. And by extension, that introduced me to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I think who I am at core is someone who, who loves to laugh. Huh. Someone with a, <laughs> with a full range of emotions. Yes. <laughs> someone who deeply appreciates hospitality and someone oh. who loves culture and is also honest about the way sin has impacted our society, our world, our systems. And that certainly, I think, was introduced to me by Mike and Brenda. Those are my parents.
0: Yeah, hear more in that episode of the God Hears Her podcast with Dr. Christina Edmondson. Another goal is to help you know that God hears you, He sees you, and He loves you because you are His. You can listen to the God Hears Her podcast online at GodHearsHer.org. Or just search for God Hears Her, where you get your podcasts. And now let's get back to this Discover the Word podcast about mental health in the Bible.
3: Have you
1: all ever heard the song about count your blessings, name them one by one, look at what Uh the Lord has done? I'm curious if you've ever taken that song literally (laughs) and and, and actually started to count some of your blessings, maybe even right now. Is there one or two things that come to mind when you think about things that you are grateful for?
3: That's such a good practice. I remember reading our dear friend Ann Voskamp's book, Mm -hmm. One Thousand Gifts, where she spent months counting one thousand gifts from God. And, and I got very motivated. And I didn't actually make mm-hmm. a long list like that. But you're right on, Dr. Christina, to, yeah, to think about even in whatever season we're going through right now, what is a blessing of it? And mm-hmm. for me, I, I could say, there is a kind of a a call to slow down in the current season I'm living in. I'm working much more remotely. It's a great gift to me. Mm-hmm.
4: For me, that whole idea of counting your blessings took a different turn for me, Christina. And that's over the years, I've, like Elisa, I've traveled a lot in ministry, and a lot of my travels been internationally. And one of the things that uh, somebody challenged me to early on in my travels was to learn how to say thank you in whatever language was the language of where I was going. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you can't say anything else but thank you, huh. it communicates something to people, and it makes a difference. And I mean, obviously, you know, the Lord knows our hearts and and he knows whether we're truly thankful or not. But I do think just the act of saying thanks Mm -hmm. is, in a sense, making yourself a little bit vulnerable and uh, accepting.
2: Yeah, that's really good, Bill. Someone challenged me recently in my emails to always be sure to say thank you to people when you're Mm -hmm. engaging with them. And um, especially if you can mention what it is that you're thankful for and how that Mm -hmm. builds relationship. Back to the song. The song actually that comes to mind for me comes out of my second favorite Christmas movie behind Elf, which is White Christmas. And it's Mm. the, when you're worried and you cannot sleep, count your blessings instead of sheep. And my Mm. daughter has a really hard time going to bed. And so oftentimes Mm. at night, that'll be the song that I sing to Mm. her. And that has been an amazing practice for us of counting our blessings and helping her to think through what are the good things that you can think about as you go to sleep. Unfortunately, I think I do a better job of encouraging her to do that than doing that myself. (laughs) But it is a powerful perspective changing practice.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So a handful of researchers conducted a study where they had people write down a list of grievances and a list (laughs) of things in which they're grateful for on a daily basis. And they did this activity for 10 weeks. And what they found is that the folks who wrote about gratitude were overwhelmingly more optimistic (laughs) at the end of the 10 weeks. They had increased Mm. the level of exercise and positive nutrition in their lives. And they had experienced kind of an, an uptick in their mood as well. And so there was an actual physiological and lifestyle change that resulted from what Christians are called to do all the time, hmm. which is to, as we see in Philippians four eight, for example, right? So that passage says to us, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And what's amazing is that God invites us into these behaviors, into these actions that are so good for us on many levels. It's good for our spirit because we're obedient to what God has called us to do, but it's good for us physiologically. It's good for our mental health. It's good for our relationships and our physical health when we are able to reflect on the things that we should demonstrate gratitude about.
4: So we're talking about Thanksgiving and I heard you read Philippians 4 8, which is, I think, a verse many of us know and love well. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering where the thanksgiving is in that verse because I don't see that mentioned. <laughs> I mean, I understand reflecting on good things. Are you saying that that reflection on good things then leads to thanksgiving? Is that the path?
1: Yeah. Well, anything that is excellent, anything that's praiseworthy, the idea of what is praiseworthy, what is worthy of expressing gratitude, what is worthy of expressing praise about would be expressions of of gratitude and thankfulness.
4: Hmm. Okay. I'm
2: with you. Yeah. And what jumps out to me about Mm -hmm. that is... You're kind of redefining blessing for me, that term, because I often think of blessings as in, like, I asked God for something and he gave it to me. Mm. But when you look at the criteria of 4 8 <laughs> <laughs> as a blessing, it's not transactional almost at all. Thinking about mm. something that's mm-hmm. true, when we run into truth, that is a blessing. When we run into something that's honorable, that's experiencing God's blessing. Whenever we see something that's just or justice happening, Mm -hmm. it's a blessing. Mm -hmm. Whenever we run into something that's pure, that's a blessing. So it's almost like redefining in some Mm -hmm. ways what we're grateful for and where we see God's blessing because we often look for answers for things. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's when we run into the beautiful things of the world that is just as much a blessing.
3: That's so good, Daniel. And I think we've talked about this, you know, you can see this truth and praiseworthiness in the middle of messiness too. It mm-hmm. you know, Paul's summing up his letter here. He's building to a conclusion. But mm-hmm. just prior to these verses, he's been pleading with two women in the church who've been mm-hmm. arguing and at each other's throats and becoming a problem in terms of the unity of the church. And he's been pleading for everybody to stand firm and to deal with this conflict and move beyond it. And so as he sums up these comments, I love what you're saying here. You know, he's saying, and finally, let's remember the main thing. Jesus is the main thing. And let's think the way he's taught us to think and discern the way he's taught us to discern. And as Daniel and Bill, y'all are pointing out, let's understand from his perspective, how things mm-hmm. fit together. And that does create a true thankfulness, doesn't it?
4: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that in the West, we tend to think about blessings in a tangible way, mm-hmm. something you can touch or feel. But here, it's not so much that it's abstract, that it's its just something that's better than a something. Yeah it's more than just another thing there's a character there's a quality that is to be celebrated and enjoyed and appreciated and given thanks for and i think the thing you're pointing out to us is that there's a level of a quality of the way we view life that paul's elevating for us here
3: yeah and you're tying it to mental health too Right. Well, yeah. Let me connect some dots. Maybe I'll give
1: it a go. You know, have you ever had a, an anxious thought or a frustrating thought, or or maybe someone that you haven't forgiven? And as much as you've wanted to shake it, even the idea of like mm-hmm. don't think about it makes it even mm-hmm. more <laughs> makes That's it right. even more yes. pressing. Right. So if I say to you, stop thinking about the tap dancing white polar bear, mm-hmm. there he is. He's right there, <laughs> tap dancing in your yep. brain. Right. And so we can't muster away or wish away our negative thoughts but we Mm -hmm. have an invitation from scripture about what thoughts to add, (laughs) what kind of (laughs) thoughts to add to our thinking, to add the thoughts that count the blessings that are already around us that we may have simply overlooked or haven't noticed. And this also isn't an invitation for us to be in denial about things that are truly difficult or painful or desperate or provocative. Yeah. As a matter of fact, God allows us to be realists, <laughs> to be able to yeah. take an account of, of actually what is broken and how broken it really is in us and around us. And yet God also offers us these greater realities. So we have the realities of injustice and brokenness and heartbreak. That's true. We also have these greater realities of God's goodness and God's mercy and God's Mm -hmm. kindness and God's blessings for us. And so we get to be realists, but we're also realists that are invited to hold on to the even higher and greater realities that God has for us.
2: Yeah. And you know where I see that actually in this passage is right after this section, because Paul talks about not that I'm not in need. He actually (laughs) is describing the needs that he has. Mm -hmm. And then he goes into what he calls the secret of contentment, which is that he can do Mm. all things through Christ. And so if we look at it in that context, then this focusing on these whatever is true, honorable just that you've been leading us to comes with the other side of reality of Paul also talking about how he's in need, but ultimately through Christ and what Jesus has done, he's able to, even in the midst of need, focus on some of those good things.
4: And isn't it true that the more you reflect on these things that you're talking about from Philippians 4, 8, in some sense, you can't reflect on those things without reflecting on the character of God himself. I mean, all of those things are descriptors of him, Mm -hmm. and it's never a bad thing to reflect on who our father is.
1: Absolutely. The comfort of that. The joy of that, the loveliness of it, reflecting on the attributes and the character of God helps to reorient our mind, helps to renew our mind, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that is something that we need in order to sustain and grow in our spiritual and mental health. You know, everyone, I am curious, what's one of your favorite songs that when people begin to sing it, when you begin to
3: sing it, you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. this is my song. Yeah, they're seasonal, kind of, aren't they? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. For me, the recent one for me is The Reckless Love of God. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: It's an amazing song, and it's used a lot. And so some people really know it, and other people may not know it at all. But I love the concept of it. It's a great phrase, just reckless love. I love Mm. that.
2: Yeah, I think the seasonal nature for me as well, because sometimes there'll be a newer song, like The Blessing, that'll really speak to me. But then there's other times uh, where it could even be an older song, I'm from a church tradition that follows the church calendar. Mm -hmm. And so when we walk into Advent each year and we sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Mm -hmm. that's one of the older songs that is very meaningful because it's like referring to Mm -hmm. Jesus's first coming, but then anticipating his second coming.
4: And I just, I love that that concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. For me, I love all different kinds of music and I love all different kinds of worship music as well. But if I want something to really speak deeply into my heart, usually I dig into the old hymns mm-hmm. and I think especially of a song like it as well with my soul mm. that touches so many areas of my heart and in life in very, very meaningful ways. Then I think about stuff from when I was a very young follower of Christ and uh I think of Andre Crouch's My Tribute mm-hmm. and songs like that that just mm-hmm. so wonderfully express things that I'd have trouble putting into words.
3: You know, I almost said my tribute, Bill, because mm-hmm. um, my husband, Evan, used to sing a lot and mm. I remember him singing that song in a chapel service and it blew me away and do you know what we ended up walking down the aisle getting married <laughs> to that song yeah. to my tribute instead of any kind of a wedding march and then we had a soloist singing and it was just how can I say thanks for the things that you've done for me things yes. so undeserved yeah, and I mean, it's and that's how we both felt that day so thanks for reminding me of that Phil. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you notice how when we talked about those songs, we begin to attach emotion and memory to it, Yeah, that it connected us to time and place. And there's something really beautiful about the gift of music. Mm -hmm. And it's not lost on me that we have an entire song book (laughs) in scripture, in the Bible. Uh, We have a book of poetry and song. And there's something uh, beautiful about the way it connects us to other people, Mm. other believers uh, across culture Mm -hmm. and across time. When I reflect on some of the songs of my childhood they are songs that were sung by enslaved peoples in the united states they were Mm -hmm. sung by uh people facing deep deep hardship and and joy and maybe new opportunity so it connects us to people across culture and across time and then we're also reminded that we're not alone which is i think so important in our christian walk the other thing that makes me really interesting kind of the social sciences in me is all the ways that singing helps our brains. <laughs> All the ways that mm-hmm. choral singing and singing with other people boost our mood, gives mm-hmm. us a sense of belonging. The research says that people who sing in choirs it can serve as a bit of an antidepressant.
2: <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs>
1: that people who sing in choirs, that when they sing together, uh, their heartbeats, their rhythms start to connect and to align. Mm. Uh, so there's some really fascinating things that happen when we sing together, let alone when we sing the praises of our Lord together as a community, as a body of believers. There are some particular passages of scripture, uh, particularly in the book of Psalms that jump out to me. Psalms 98, 4, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth burst into jubilant song with music. And obviously Psalm 103, 1, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. We have mm-hmm. this invitation to sing out loud, to sing fully, to sing with others. And it really does impact our physiological makeup. Even as I'm describing this right now, can you think about the way that music and singing praises to the Lord impacts your thinking and even your
4: body? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, Christina, the Psalm 103 verse 1 is another Andre Crouch song. So, (laughs) bless the Lord on my soul. So that's a good call on picking that verse. Um, I can tell you that uh, during the pandemic, when we couldn't actually gather together for worship and things like that, once things started to loosen up, I spoke at a Bible conference. And Mm -hmm. for the Sunday morning worship time, almost being in tears, just at being able to stand and sing again mm-hmm. uh, with other believers. Mm. It, it just felt mm. so fresh and so welcome after all that time.
3: Because it's weird, isn't it? Uh, when we were in seasons doing remote church only, and it, when worship comes on... You know, do we stand up and sing? And it just, because we hear our own voices way too strongly (laughs) in that kind of a setting, you know? So I think we really have experienced a shift in not having some Mm -hmm. of that worship that we need. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. You know, what comes to mind for me too, is not only that beauty of like singing together and the way that that kind of draws us together, like what you're talking about. And something that my wife and I've talked about a lot is how we long for the singing the corporate singing Mm. that has been missing but also the way music puts words into your soul into your heart Mm -hmm. there was a song recently that my wife and i were listening to that talked about lord make us instruments of your peace Mm. and we listened to it one time But the rest of the day we were singing, Lord, make us like we're praying through song. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Mm. We'd only heard it once. So it's the way music also like embeds these ideas of who God is and how he works and what he calls us to deep within us. And it almost shapes us. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, and what we sing about and what we, what we don't sing about has the ability to shape us or miss the opportunity to shape us, mm-hmm. right? And so there's a research that was done by Professor Soon-Chun Ra, who looks specifically at um, the church and the issue of lament. And the church's avoidance, the church in America's avoidance around the issue of lament. And when he analyzed all of these kind of contemporary songs, he found very few songs that actually invited people into deep lament. Mm. And so that ends up sometimes being an area that we are misshaped in or underdeveloped in Mm -hmm. when we're not singing about those things. And so God allows us to sing with a full range of experience and emotions, which is why when you look through the Psalms, you're going to see every emotion (laughs) that you can imagine, (laughs) including being angry with God, being confused and being Mm -hmm. frustrated are also a part of God's songbook to us as well.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. interesting. You mentioned That with the two Psalms that you brought our attention to, Mm -hmm. because both of those happen in Book Four of Psalms, Mm -hmm. and the theme of Book Four of Psalms is Israel still in exile. Mm-hmm. And so you're right. There's these beautiful moments of calling them to praise the Lord and how that changes their perspective, which is kind of what we talked about in our last conversation, right? The way when we focus on those things that are good and true, how it shapes us. Mm-hmm. But within the context of this part of the book of Psalms, there's also, it's surrounded by the hard stuff too, mm-hmm. the lament Psalms.
4: Mm-hmm. And I think your comment about uh, a lot of the worship music and stuff, I have a son who's a worship leader in a church, and Mm. I like a lot of the worship music, but I do find, for me personally, that when I get into hymns like It Is Well With My Soul, Mm. they seem to be more honest. In reflecting life, um, because they are songs many times that are born out of pain Mm -hmm. uh, and born out of struggle. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And
2: oftentimes when we sing it as well, it's us calling ourselves to believe that it will be well because Mm -hmm. when we're singing it, we're not actually experiencing the wellness of our soul yet. We're longing for it. Mm. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. And when whoever is leading us reminds us of the stories as to how these hymns were written, you know, of who was suffering and why they wrote it and who they lost and what they went through, that reminds us of our own. And so we enter in with our own experience. I love Christina, how you are really stressing too, that there is this lofty praise in worship but there is this the gritty reality of emotion in bringing our songs before God too. And that's what truly is the healing part, isn't it? Absolutely. When I think
1: about grief and loss, I begin to think about uh, Thomas Dorsey's song, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. And when he wrote that song, he had just received the horrible news about the the death of his wife and a child. Mm. And uh, to go to his own piano and to cry out with nothing left, a man who had lost likely the most meaningful things to him um, on this earth, and to cry out, Lord, take my hand, lead me on, help me to stand. And that song, when I sing it, I connect to Thomas's pain, and he, through his words, (laughs) point me to Jesus Christ, who does hold our hand in the midst of grief and leads us on, and makes us to stand, even in the face of great, great difficulty.
2: Well, Dr. Christina, thank you so much for taking time to join us. I've been really enjoying these conversations so far, and I'm excited to see where we go in this one.
3: Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. You've put the cookies on the bottom shelf for us, and you've made mental health, which um, we get wonky about in our church world a little bit. You've really shown us how God has provided some really practical ways to improve our mental health um, Mm -hmm. in our relationship with Him.
4: And I think you've challenged us, even in this area of life, to see how Jesus really is the provision to help us be whole. We think about that in the spiritual sense and in, in our salvation, you know, that we've been made whole through what he did on the cross. But mm-hmm. also to think of how he can bring wholeness to this area of our lives as well has been really, really worthwhile. Yeah.
1: I am so grateful that the Lord offers up his very self to us. In the midst of our difficulties and frustration, and the Lord offers up to us everything that God has dominion over for our care and for our well-being. That includes God's word, and it also includes science. It includes friendships and resources and nature. Uh, So we have so much at our disposal under the hand of our loving and sovereign God Mm. that we might be cared for well until we see him face to face. Mm. What a gift. What a gracious gift giver jesus is to us you know i was thinking about how having hope in christ this gracious gift giver is more than just wishful thinking it is a way of living and being that truly sustains us proverbs 23 18 there is surely a future hope for you And your hope will not be cut off. Mm. You know, one of the things that makes mental illness so grueling and so painful, besides stigma, besides lack of access to care and shame around it, is also that uh, mental illness can speak to us these lies that we have no hope. Hopelessness Mm. Mm. is one of the Mm. things that clinicians are looking for when they're working with people who are deeply depressed. How much hope do they have? And it's interesting because we are the people of hope. (laughs) You know, we're in the hope business as Christians. And it's just amazing to me to think about how we look for and we measure it. and We need to see hope in people to be able to tell how well they are or how well they're not doing.
2: I think that's a word we throw around a lot, Dr. Christina, the word hope. Mm -hmm. How would you define what hope is and what it looks like in our lives?
1: Yeah, so hope is, um, it's presently sustaining, but it is, it's is—it's borrowing from what is to come to uh, inform and to strengthen and prop up what we have today, which is why, again, we look for that when we are dealing with issues of maybe deep depression and despair. Because if someone has hope, it necessarily means that they're looking at something or holding on to something outside of themselves mm-hmm. and outside of the present moment. And so Jesus is our hope. Yeah. <laughs> and what is to come in all of eternity, uh, being with Jesus, being around the banquet table, we borrow from what is mm-hmm. to come mm-hmm. to give us peace. Even for today, we're, we're, we're kind of taking um, a little bit off of the buffet table in, of eternity into the moment now in order to sustain us a bit of an appetizer. That's what hope looks like.
4: I'm glad you put it that way because I have a friend who likes to say for the non-Christian hope is a verb, but for the Christian hope is a noun. It's not something we do necessarily as much as it's something we have that we possess because as you said, Jesus is our hope.
3: Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of a very tangible and painful memory, honestly, when Mm -hmm. our little grandson was born too early at 22 weeks and couldn't survive, and it was so devastating in those moments. And my daughter had asked me to kind of be the steward of his presence um, right after she had to deliver him and her, her husband was with her. And and I remember walking, following the nurse into this incubator room where she laid down his precious little body. And I was so devastated. But really in that moment, it became so real to me that Jesus, that God would scoop up this little life and mm-hmm. preserve it. And I had hope, you know, e- even though I was so devastated That life is about more than right this moment, and that his little life was about more than just that second. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Yeah, and I think too, Elisa, I would imagine, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but that hope wasn't just centered on the future or in that moment, but it was also built on this past of faithfulness that you had experienced Mm -hmm. of God.
3: Well, and that's like the opposite direction. I think it's in Hebrews. The writer says that, you know, hope is the anchor of our soul. So there is kind of Mm -hmm. a backwards and a forwards and this Mm -hmm. thread, if you will, I think it's a good image that ties all of the past our present and our future in in one somehow it eventually makes sense kind of theme. Mm -hmm.
1: You know, Christ has the unquestioned credibility to be our hope right? Because of his acts of faithfulness and Mm. uh, because of the depths of Jesus's love for us. Mm. So we can bank on Christ as our hope because of what Christ has demonstrated through his love for
4: us. How do you answer the person, Christina, who doesn't know Christ Mm -hmm. And they hear us talking about hope and eternity and all those things, Mm -hmm. and they kind of roll their eyes and they say, yeah, there they go again. It's those Christians talking about eternity, and they're out of touch with the real world and all that kind of stuff. How do you help that person understand that while hope is the cord that links us to the eternal Mm -hmm. future, it's also what grounds us in the difficulties of the present?
1: Absolutely. And there are many people who would say that. And and maybe, (laughs) thanks be to God, they could be listening right now. I hope they are. Mm -hmm. What I would say to them, maybe even an apology to the extent (laughs) that Christians, Mm -hmm. we have not done a good enough job sitting with people in their suffering and maybe giving them Mm -hmm. pat answers that uh, attempts to push them past pain that feels too weighty for us to Mm -hmm. carry. And so I would apologize for that and express my own weakness, my own inadequacy that I can't even hold my own pain, <laughs> that I need the Lord Jesus Christ to lift me up, to prop me up and to hold my pain. But what I would say to them is that this life that we live is marked by suffering. It is marked by uncertainty and deep, deep frustrations and losses that will never make sense until we see Jesus. Mm-hmm. There are losses in my life that I will never understand That's right. until uh, I am with the Lord. And uh, what gives me peace isn't that I have the answers. It is because I have Jesus Hmm. and that Jesus offers himself to me to be with me in the midst of my uncertainty, to be my very hope. And it's an offer that Jesus extends to everyone, including the people who lack faith, like myself, (laughs) (laughs) including people who struggle with unbelief. Jesus specializes in loving and drawing near and being the hope to those who struggle with unbelief. Mm. And so I would encourage that person to step forward and to consider the God who does not dismiss you, but works with unbelief to make it belief.
2: Hmm. That's really good. And what about the person that is maybe still stuck on what Bill said earlier of is hope a verb or a noun for them? Mm -hmm. And they want to be filled with hope. Maybe they're a Christian Mm and they hear in church, they've heard on other podcasts, they've heard wherever, that Christians should be filled with hope. And they're trying so hard to be filled with hope.
1: Mm.
2: How do they experience that hope? How do they find that hope? Yeah.
1: Well, you know, the hope is in a person. We look to the hills which come with our help. Our help comes from the Lord. And with that being said— we do not worship an insecure God. (laughs) So God, (laughs) uh, God is not threatened by the person with plaguing and persistent depression Mm. who can't just snap themselves into happiness. Uh, God is not insecure. And God doesn't say that, you know, you don't love me enough and that's why you're not happy. God has made unbelievable provision through uh friendships in the the covenant community of believers through science through medicine for us to receive the help and support that we need so i wouldn't want people to feel a sense of shame that they have not worked hard enough to be happy (laughs) in the midst of a broken and fallen world with brains that are impacted by sin we're not quite the way that we ought to be (laughs) and so (laughs) and just like that includes a bad knee. That also includes a brain Mm. that is also impacted by the fall. But we have a God who has made unbelievable provision and offering Himself for us and so many, um, so many treatments, so much support that can be extended to us. And God is not insecure. Uh, We don't lose our Christian card because we use the natural means that God has authority over (laughs) um, to help our bodies.
0: This has been a series of conversations about mental health in the Bible on the Discover the Word podcast with Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and our guest, Dr. Christina Edmondson. Thanks for studying along with us. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the Scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of christ and always point us to discover jesus in the pages of the bible discover the word encourage you to explore other studies with the group on our discover the website and thanks for remembering that it is listeners like you who help make discover the word possible your financial support allows discover the word and our daily bread ministries to make the life-changing wisdom of the bible understandable and accessible to literally millions of people around the world. And so if you'd like to make a one-time donation to support the ministry or give a monthly gift as a Discover the Word partner, simply follow the easy steps online at discovertheword.org. Click the Donate tab to explore your options at discovertheword.org. All right, well, I'm Brian and Thanks for listening to the Discover the Word podcast. And hey, do you remember playing dress-up as a kid you get into your mom's or dad's old clothes and role-play tea parties or a restaurant or school or some other adventure. Well, the Bible is filled with mentions of clothing, both literal and figurative. And in the New Testament epistles, especially the metaphor of dressing up takes on a special significance, encouraging us to connect what's going on inside with what people see on the outside. So join the regular group of Mart, Elisa, Bill, and Daniel for a series called Dress Up on the next Discover the Word podcast. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.